Okay, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining. We're a bit uh, late. Um, I want to. This year is dedicated uh, by the Nathanson family, by Ruvain and Hanaliba Nathanson. This is in honor of Mrs. Nathanson's uh, mother, Rivka Basmoisha, whose yard site is tonight. May your neshama have a great aliyah. Chav Ches. Um, of, may your neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may this um, bring a lot of bracha to you and your mishpacha for all that you need and all that you want in a very big way. Um, and all your good intentions and desires, what you want to create and make here for the community, um, may, may it come to fruition. All right. Um, I also want to mention a, a very special Yid who passed away. Uh, over here, I just had uh, the funeral earlier. Rabbi Yaakov Gedalia Ben. Let me take a look if I have his father's name. Rabbi Safranovich. A real, real, real tzaddik of a Yid. Talmud Chachem Gadol. Meaning a huge, huge scholar, a sofa, a scribe who helped many, 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 many people. Um, and let this be for his chus as, um, hold on just one second, I want to find it. If there is, an announcement. like to mention his name. Here we are. Rabbi Yaakov Gedalia ben Yosef Doiv Safranowitz. I used to check my film by him all the time. An extraordinary person. And um, may the family be comforted and all his students, all the men and women that uh, found so much advice and counsel and, and direction from him. Uh, may Hashem comfort their broken hearts. May Hashem already comfort the entire world. And may we see already the full and complete redemption. So tonight, I'm going to thank my wife for, today, for, 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 for my giving of this year tonight. Uh, because I felt, I had an idea today of what I want to talk about. And uh, it's completely not developed. And I needed more time. <laughs> So I was in my mind thinking that I would, uh, you know what, uh, free on Tuesday night, I'm just going to roll it over for Tuesday. But I got a call from my wife, she said, you can't do that, people are waiting on Monday. At least you should have sent an email, I didn't send an email. I I'm feeling like, okay, it's COVID, no one is coming here, I'm giving a share to an empty room. So uh, whoever's lucky that happens to get the YouTube click, if they want to hear the class live, or else it's always recorded and available later. But she told me I can't do that, and uh, I accepted her rebuke. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give the first part of the class today, and as a session, there'll be two shirim. There'll be one tomorrow night, which will be focused on the main thing that I really want to talk about. And this will be more like an introductory share to the uh, ideas 
I mean, two parts, really. One of them is, I think, more applicable to us today is what I want to get to, and that's for tomorrow night. Um, it's something exciting. It's about a mitzvah that has been dormant for 2,000 years, and um, maybe more, about 2,500 years, and uh, perhaps it's applicable today. It's a mitzvah that we read in Pasha Shoftim, and it's a mitzvah that um, it's actually in, was in today's Chumash. And the, this was nagging at me the whole day, even before I learned the Chumash. I only learned the Chumash later. So I didn't even know that it wasn't today's Chumash. I knew it was in Shoftim. Because, you know, we read the Chumash every day, the parasha from Sunday till Shani, Monday till Shlishi. So today, between Shani and Shlishi, is a unique mitzvah. It's a mitzvah of appointing a king. So, um, it's a mitzvah on the Jewish people to appoint upon themselves a king. We've had kings in the past, and then we're going to have an, we're going to have the great and final king, which we're all waiting for, which is going to bring redemption to the entire world and be the greatest leader ever. And that's Mashiach. And as we're getting into the days of Mashiach, that mitzvah has to be something that is studied. And the and the question really, which I want to address tomorrow, is how much can we say halachically that we have that mitzvah today that we should find if there is someone that we can point our finger to and say that this is worthy, this person is worthy of being a king, being Mashiach, and then, and then we fulfill the mitzvah of accepting this person as Mashiach. What do we do? Okay, that's part of the discussion. We don't have the anointing oil to put it on his head. The question is, does he need the anointing oil? Could be he has it already in his DNA from David HaMelech, and he doesn't need to be re-anointed. It's a question that is asked if Moshiach needs to be re-anointed with anointing oil. We don't have that anointing oil, so even if we wanted to do that part of the mitzvah, we couldn't do it. But perhaps there's other parts related to the mitzvah uh, that is applicable, that we could, all of us, do today and take part of the greatest, uh, the greatest appointment of Melech HaMashiach. Or is it a completely a godly appointee? Is the whole process of Mashiach, obviously Mashiach is Hashem's cho chosen one. God imbues in him all the power to be Mashiach, but maybe it's completely a divine process in which we just are passive, and we wait, and when we're worthy, we learn, to learn, we do, we learn enough Torah, we do enough mitzvahs, God will send us, Yishlach Lanu Mashiachai, Koyal Tzedek, Hashem will send us Mashiach, He will redeem us whenever, and nothing to do with us. Or should we be active participants? And if we should be active participants, could we be active participants? And if we could be active participants, is this something that perhaps we can already start a discussion today if that's applicable or not? Do we have someone that we can, that we can point to? Um, that's where I want to take the discussion to tomorrow. Um, today, I want to talk about a little earlier from this, the whole idea of appointing a king, desirable or not desirable, because we read the Haftorah this week is going to be, uh, and the Haftorah of Parshas Shoftim talks about the Jewish people, uh, no, it's not the Haftorah of Parshas Shoftim, because Parshas Shoftim is the Haftorah, we do the uh, seven um, of Nechama, of the seven weeks of comfort, and that's what we do, but it is a Haftorah in one of the weeks, one of the parashiyas, 
It slipped my mind now which week we read it. But we read how the Jewish people asked for a king and God gets very upset at them. And Shmuel Navi is deeply offended, Samuel, the great prophet. He feels that they rejected him. He was their leader and they want some other king. And then God stands up for Shmuel and takes kind of personal insult and the insult of Shmuel. And he tells Shmuel, they didn't offend you, they offended me. They rejected me. And he gives them, but it's interesting that he gives into them and he gives them what they want and he gives them a king. But Hashem does that with, with, with in a sense, while being frustrated. He's not happy by doing it. And that's why we see that it turns sour because the king himself didn't last. Even though Shaul was a huge tzaddik, but it didn't last. It started off with the left foot. Hashem is not happy. And he actually, to prove his unhappiness, there's actually a curse that happens. Shmuel says, obviously, as a prophecy coming from God, that, um, or actually, he, he initiates it. He says, in order to show you how, how, how Hashem did not approve of this request, I'm going to cry out to God for rain, and it's going to rain, even though it's already the time of cutting the wheat, which means it's in the summer, and the rains in Israel doesn't rain in the summer. Similar, but kind of like the same kind of weather like Los Angeles. And if it does rain in the summer, it's very bad for the crops. And therefore, he says, and that will show you how misguided your request was. So from that story, it seems like requesting a king is a no-no. It's not good, and Hashem does not like it. But it's very, very, but that's very shocking. Why is it shocking? Because in the Chumash, it's a mitzvah. Here we go. Let me read you the, the Pesukim. This week, Parashah Shoftim. When you will come to the land, this is Pasuk Yudalid. Um, in Perak Yud Zion, chapter 17 in Devarim, Deuteronomy, Perak Yudalid. When you will come to the land that God gives you, you will take possession of it, you will settle in the land. You will say, I want to put upon myself a king. Like all the Gentiles that are around me. You will look around. The other, the other nations living at the borders of the land of Israel, around the land of Israel, are nations and they have kings. So you will decide you also want a king. And you will say, let me put upon, let me take upon myself a king. Let me appoint a king. So the Pasuk says, You should appoint upon yourself a king. Take upon yourself a king. A king that God has chosen. But by conditions. You should appoint upon yourself a king. Good idea. Take upon yourself a king. But make sure that he has to be from your brothers. You can't take a foreigner. The king must be a Jew, born from a Jewish mother, and also a Jewish father. His lineage has to be purely Jewish. In other words, a convert is, does not qualify for this, even though converts are integrated into the Jewish people and fully accepted. But regarding the kingship and monarchy, it has to be, doesn't have to be from King David, not at that point. Later, we find that Hashem makes a promise in the Navi to, to David the Melech that 
Uh, he will never ever take away the kingdom from him, and this will be forever. It's hinted to already in the blessings of uh, Yaakov gives to Yehuda that the tribe of Yehuda will always have the king. But this is still initially the mitzvah was not that way. They could appoint kings from different from different uh, different tribes. Um, Shoah Melech was not from the tribe of Yehuda. Shoah Melech was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the first king of the Jewish people. But in any case, he can't be a foreigner. And you can't take upon yourself a foreigner. It's not from your brothers. Okay. And then it goes on with certain mitzvahs pertaining to the king. The king has to be a humble person. And therefore, he can't live an unnecessary, extravagant, extravagant life. He shouldn't increase his horses, which will lead him to take the Jewish people or to get more, go and deal with Egypt, because that's where all the horses come from. And, uh, and Hashem said, don't go back to Egypt. He shouldn't marry too many women, as was the customs of the kings in those times. They had, you know, hundreds of wives. It's a question, of course, obviously the question that jumps up immediately, that King Solomon did have a thousand wives. How does it work? Good. Wives, having a lot of wives will, will deter his heart will uh, cause him to stray off the path. And also, he shouldn't amass a fortune. Obviously, a king needs to have wealth because he has to take care of his army, he has to take care of his, of his staff, and he has a huge staff. The king has to live in a palace, and he has to have glory and honor, but not overdo it. Not masses, amassing, amassing a fortune and fortune. In other words, the king can't be someone who makes the materialistic world a priority, the materialistic pursuit, which would be like the kings of around you. Our king, the Jewish king, is to be very different. What should be his obsession? What should be the king's, what should he cherish? This is the way the Rabbeinu Bachaya explains it so beautifully, the, the, the idea behind it. What does the king cherish? What does the Jewish king aspire to? You have to have something that drives you. What's his aspiration? So the Pasuk says, his aspiration should be the Torah. He should be in love with the Torah, madly in love with the Torah. And how do you see that? As he is sitting on his throne, he has to write for himself a special Torah scroll. He has to carry it with him all the time. Now Rashi says, this is a statement that derived from the sages, so Rashi says that the word Mishneh Torah means he has to write for himself a double Torah. Because every Jew has a mitzvah to write a Torah scroll. He should have in his possession a Torah scroll. So the other question, how, we, how come we don't find that every Jew today writes a Torah for himself? It's another good discussion. But um, the, the king can't suffice with one Torah that he has, either given to hand it down by, from his parents, or uh, his own Torah that he wrote, is to write another Torah. And the difference between the two is that one of them, the one that he writes for himself, I think, is the one, yeah, that's the one that he's going to carry with him all the time. Literally, the king would not be allowed to go anywhere without a Torah scroll. Besides, he's going to a restroom, he's going to sleep at night, so then he can leave it out or go into uh, to shower or whatever, then obviously he can't take the Torah in. But other than that, even by the meals, or when he's judging the people, meetings, going out to war, wherever he goes, wherever he travels, he travels with the Torah with him. 
the sight, just imagine the Jewish king, the glory of it, and the always walking with the Torah. That means he's inseparable from the Torah. And I was thinking, the idea that he takes this, he has to have two. One of them, and what does he do with the other Torah? The other Torah he puts into his treasures. He keeps it, Bebe's Rashi says, a Russian over here, Bebe's Genozov. He takes it amongst his, uh, his, um, His treasures, his whatever they call it, no? His hidden... And the reason for that is, the way, the way I understand it, is because the idea of cherishing something comes in two ways. You can cherish something, and because of that, you hold on to it all the time. And then sometimes there's like things that are so cherished that it's hidden, it's concealed, you don't touch it. And you so... In other words, the, the, the value of it is in the very... is in the very... is in the very... Um, um, notion that it's not in front of you. You don't see it. You don't have it, but you have it. But you have it in a concealed, hidden place, and only to your best, best friends or to the people that you really want to impress, you take them in and you show it to them. So what a regular king would, like, when, what would the Rachashverosh do when he threw a crazy party for 180 days? Baharoisa, he was showing us Oisha, Kvayd Malchusa, his glory of his kingdom, and he was taking them around to tour and showing them. As the Vilna Goyen explains over there, every day he showed them six, I think, six treasures. And he makes a, a diok and the, the, the things that he, uh, that, that, he was, that he was showing to the, the people, the scribes in the party. The Pasuk is very descriptive, the verse in, in the Megillah is very descriptive of how he showed and displayed his wealth. Because that was meaningful to him, that was what he. That was like his, his delight, his hobby. He's called a hobby. But, but um, for, the, for the Jewish king, it's his special Torah. And that's what he cherishes. In any case, so obviously it's a different kind of a king. And all of this, the Pasuk says, will lead him to humility. So that he will be humble. Um, and the Pasuk says, so he will read it all day long. He will always have it. And by practicing these laws, relinquishing or giving up on the pursuit of great wealth and lots of women and having the whole, the whole spiel of a king, the whole uh, physical um, um, grandeur and focusing on the spiritual element of it. Even though the king of, of Israel was very glorious. I mean, we can't take that away. It is a monarchy. It's a kingdom. But again, it's minimized. It has to be that the main focus is fear of God. And be, being a king representing Hashem. And there, as a result of that, he will have longevity. And his kingdom will last very long. That's what the Pasuk concludes. He'll be king for a long time. Who will bond the care of Israel? Him and his children amongst the Jewish people. He will. His reign will last. Okay, that's the condition. A humble king is what we need. All right, but what do we see from here? Going back to the beginning, the pasuk tells us its instructions from God that you should appoint a king. Now, just reading the pasuk, it's not really clear that it's a mitzvah, it's a must. What does the Pasuk say? You will go into Eretz Yisrael, and you will settle the land, 
Vomarta, and you will say, Asimalai Melech. So what's that Vomarta, that, that statement? I will place upon it. Is that a good thing to say? Or is it just, if you will say? Or perhaps, we're going to see, Nachmanides learns, that it's actually, the Torah was telling us the future of what was going to happen. The Pasuk is saying, you will go into the land of Israel and you will say, because the Torah knew already back then, Hashem was telling Moshe to write this, or to tell the Jewish people, that this is what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. That you're going to ask for a king. So that could be the meaning. It doesn't mean that it's the appropriate thing to do to ask for a king. But hold it, if we don't have a king, then who's our king? You don't have a human king, then God is your king. Why Hashem Lamelech, that Hashem is the king of Kola Aretz. Or, that's my way of seeing it. Or, the mitzvah is, Vamarta Asim Alemelech is something you should say. You should say, Asim Alemelech, I will put upon myself a king. And the Pasuk says it. If you will say, but this is a positive thing, and therefore, you should put. In other words, we can learn it as if you will say, then you should do it. Or we can say the meaning is you could say, you should say, and put upon, take upon that king, and really do that, but make sure that you take him, do the appropriate king. Select wisely. So that's already up to interpretation. How do we understand this? If we say it's a mitzvah, then we're going to run into a problem because what happened in the book of Samuel's in Shmuel where Hashem is very upset by them asking for a king. So let's do a little research over here. Is this a mitzvah? This is not a mitzvah. So the Gemara, the Talmud in Mesechtis Sanhedrin talks about this. And the Talmud says... Um, Shawish mitzvahs nitztavu, he brings it on Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, Shawish mitzvahs, the, 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 the Rambam also brings this in Hilchis Malachim, in the beginning of the laws of kings, first chapter, Maimonides, Sefer Mishnah Torah. Shawish mitzvahs nitztavu Yisrael, the three mitzvahs the Jewish people were commanded, Bishas, Kenisasam, La'aretz, when they came into the land. Meaning the Jews were commanded with three mitzvahs as they were coming into the land. And I, I think the Gemara brings this, the Arachayim says, this is, it says, look in the Sechtas on Edrin, Perakai, and Gadol. I don't have the Gemara in front of me over here. Rabbi Yehuda, he brings you the name of Rabbi Yehuda. Other places I thought I saw the name of Rabbi Yehuda. That what? Shalosh mitzvahs nistavu Yisrael bechnisos on The Jewish people were commanded three commandments that was communal, that was given to them as a community as a people, which is to be enacted when they come into the land of Israel, they should taste, take care of three things. That's interesting. You know, we have a commandment. It took a few hundred years to implement it. So what were the three mitzvahs? So the Rambam, let's continue. To appoint a king. Because it says, appoint upon yourself a king. And to eradicate the children of Amalek. That you should uproot the, the remnants 
the descendants of Amalek. And then Olivnus Lamb, so that's the second thing. The eradicating evil from the world, appointing a Jewish king, eradicating evil, and finally, to build the temple. That you should, once you settle in the land, you should seek out a place for where Hashem can dwell, the Shikhno, for Hashem's dwelling, Tidrishu. You should seek it out, investigate. Put yourself into it to really, really, really look, figure out. It's not, I'm not going to tell you because the Jews had to figure out where it was. It wasn't so simple. To figure out research, and King David did this, and he was able to figure out where was that special place, and then he bought it, and then they built it, and the whole thing, it took again two generations till it was done. So this is the three mitzvahs, Rambam says. And again, this is from the tractate Masechta Sanhedrin, where it says this is a mitzvah. Then the Rambam goes ahead from those three mitzvahs, what's the order? And he says the order is first the king, then the eradicate, then the, once you have a king, the king will take you out and lead you in, in battle. Because in order to eradicate Amalek, you'll have to go to war. Like we find that after they appointed King Saul, that's when Shaul Amalek, um, King Saul took the Jewish people to war to fight against Amalek and to wipe out Amalek. Finally, after that was done, the third mitzvah is once the enemies of God have been eradicated, then Hashem can dwell in this world without um, and this peace. And with this peace, you have the proper environment. And also we know that Hashem does not live where there is evil. Hashem does not live where there is evil. So first you have to clean up the dirt, the filth, the stench. And Amalek, and the, that which is evil in the world, is considered a, a, an offense to Hashem. So you have to get rid of it. Once that's done, then you can establish the Holy Temple. And that's what happened, it says, after King David, because Shaul, we know, did not complete the job. King David didn't either complete it, because we know then came Haman, and so on and so forth. But after David HaMelech, it says, that when did David HaMelech start searching to figure out, and he says, I'm sitting, I'm living in this palace made out of arazin, big cedar trees, and, the, and, and God, is, God is, the, the, is, is dwelling in a tent. It's not respectful. Let's go, let's go build a, figure out how are we going to build the temple, build the base Amidish. When did David HaMelech say that? It says, after Hashem had, Baniach Hashem, after Hashem had brought peace and tranquility, after he completed waging all the wars that he did. So this is the order of how it needs to be done. Clear statement from the Gemara in the Talmud, brought in Halacha, that it's a mitzvah to appoint a king. It was an obligation to appoint a king. If so, we obviously have a very strong question, what do we do with um, the story in Shmuel? If it's, if it's a mitzvah, then the Jewish people were actually fulfilling that which God mandated them or commanded them to do, and they didn't do anything wrong, so why is Hashem so upset about that? Okay, so that's the question. I do want to say that in the Gemara, Masech the Sanhedrin, there was another opinion. Reb Nahoi Rai. Reb Nahoi Rai, or I think is... The Gemara says Rabbi Nahayra is Rabbi Meir. He disagrees. And he says this is not a mitzvah. There is no mitzvah of appointing a king. Rather, he says, um, when Hashem says over here that you should appoint a king, is God is giving you permission to appoint a king if you're asking for a king. The words, Rechayim brings it. 
This parsha was not said, only because of the Jewish people's complaints. That's what it begins that way. If you are off, it's just a mitzvah, then Hashem should do it like all the other mitzvahs. Not you will say, oh, I feel I need to blow a shofar. Okay, go blow a shofar. <laughs> or I need to have a matzah. So, oh, go have a matzah. doesn't say that. Over, over here it says, you will say it, and then Hashem gives the mitzvah. Because Hashem is only responding to our request. In a sense, He's granting us permission to have a king. So it's not a commandment. Well, that would be a little bit more consistent with the, uh, with the story in Shmuel. But we, but we see that Halacha, Rambam accepts the first opinion that it's a mitzvah. That Jewish people were commanded from God to appoint, appoint a king. Okay. So on this, there are various different answers. And I'd like to go through some of it. It's really, really interesting uh, things. So first, we have um, Even before we go there, I'd like to first touch upon this opinion of Rabbi Nehoira. Rabbi Nehoira says that it's not a mandate to go appoint a king, but rather the Torah, Hashem is only responding to our request. As I mentioned earlier, what happens if we don't have a king? How do you have a people without a king? So both the Orachayim and Rabbeinu Bechaya uh, give, give the same answer, same idea. Uh, the Erechayim says it particularly as an explanation on Rabbi Nehoira, on the opinion of Rabbi Nehoira. Rabbeinu Bechaya doesn't even say it as an explanation on R- Rabbi Nehoira, who says it's not. A, he just learns this way, L'chatechila, and this is the original approach to the verse, is that it's not a mitzvah, that it's not the desirable state. He, he, bring, he says, I'm going to read you the, the, the Rabbeinu Machai. This mitzvah, This is in accordance to the Jewish people that, that they are going to ask. Similar to what I told you earlier from Nachmanides. Rabbeinu Machai and Nachmanides cross, cross paths a lot. That when the Pesach says, it's not if, it's they will say. This is what's going to happen. And Hashem is not happy, but He says, I know this is what's going to happen, you're going to ask for a king. So, and, but He's more explicit on it. He says, This is not God's, God's uh, Hashem's plan. God wants to be directly our king. Hashem does not want to have a human king kind of as an interface for his kingship. We're going to soon see that, it, that it, uh, uh, the king that we appoint is actually an interface for God's kingship. He's not an entity onto his own. He's a completely, he's a complete funnel. We spoke about this in other classes. I'm just repeating. But he's like just a channel for Hashem's kingship. It's almost like there isn't even a human in between. It's just a pure, God's kingship, is, it's kind of like a prophet. A prophet is not an entity, that he's holy, he's great. 
A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. It's God's microphone. The microphone is not, it's not like I'm telling the microphone and the microphone is now processing and the microphone is um, amplifying. The microphone is just a, a funnel through where it's gone. That's what the prophet really is. Even though the prophets did integrate, understand, and, but they didn't change it. It was the word of God, on my mouth, just a funnel. So too is the kingship of the king, a real king who's fitting and qualifies based on all the qualifications we said before and is a God-fearing king and devoted to Hashem. He's so a non-being. That's the point in Judaism, the greatness of the great tzaddikim is that they are non-entities. Not that they are something. Their greatness is that they are a nothing, which means that they don't occupy any space. They don't take themselves personally seriously. They're just a conduit for God's will. In any case, but Hashem doesn't even want that. Hashem wants a direct, similar to the question was by Har Sinai. We had the same question. Hashem initially wanted the Jewish people to hear directly from God. Hashem initially sent Moshe. The Jewish people said, no, we want to hear directly from Hashem. And that made God very happy. He said, yeah, 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 God, really, I'm, I'm coming to speak to them directly. But when they couldn't handle it, so then, then, then they came running to Moshe. So Hashem, okay, I'll speak through you and you'll speak the word to them. Similar to that is with the king. Hashem wants directly to be the king over the Jewish people. God is so humble and so in love with us, madly in love with us, that he himself wants to be overseeing and supervising every little detail, shabbat detail. The smallest little things God himself wants to, to the tiniest little minutia, to the tiniest detail. Amen. They don't need another king. Hashem is their king. Think about this, the beautiful words. He says, because the chosen nation, in which the master of all of existence is his king. King meaning the one who is there to take care of you. To make sure, you know, to, to, to oversee that everything runs smoothly. So it's the, the master who controls everything. Yeah, a human king can control everything. It's God who controls the universe. He's your personal caretaker. He's your king. What do they need? A human king. And that's why they bothered them when they asked Shmuel Anavi for a king. And that's why Hashem says, They didn't reject you. They rejected me. From, from, from ruling over them. And therefore, he gave them Shaul as a king, the but this is not with his full consent and desire. He's giving in to them, but he's not really happy about it. Okay, and he brings the verse, they, made him, they, made, they appointed a king, not for me. Hey, see the royal deity. I think the word Hesiru could be, from, uh, again, I'm not, I, I didn't look up this verse, but I think it over here from the word, they appointed ministers, not with my, and I didn't know, not that God doesn't know, but it's not with his approval. And therefore it says, <clears throat> another verse, I will give you a king, Ba'api, with my wrath, the Ekach, and I will take the king, Ba'avrasi, with my anger. So, I will give you a king with 
with my frustration, the Zeshol, it's referring to King Saul, HaMelech Harishon was the first king, the Ekach Rossi, I will take it with my wrath, Tzitkiyo HaMelech Achrin, the last king of Judea was, was uh, Tzitkiyo HaMelech. And sadly, he was taken into captivity and he was tortured. They gored out his eyes. It was horrible. He was taken in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar with the wrath of God. And terrible things happened to him. So Shaul HaMelech was given to them initially without Hashem is not too happy about it. And in the end, you see what happens with the last king. And then he goes ahead. The Rebbeinu Bacha just... just he says, go take a look, he says, what happened with all of our kings? There's always been problems. What do we gain from having kings? Shaul fell in the Mount Gilboa. I mean, he was killed in the end. David Nasan Magefa. David brought a plague upon the Jewish people. He counted the people and it caused, it a, it caused a plague. I mean... <laughs> It's frightening words to read this. We're talking about saints of saints, tzaddikim of tzaddikim, both Shaul and David. To disregard and say we don't need them, God forbid. But again, everything needs to be understood in the context. He's saying that in the ultimate scheme of things, could have been better than Hashem himself would have been the king. Achav stopped the rain. Achav was a wicked person already. He was a king and he stopped the rain. Um, Tzitkiyot caused the, the temple to be destroyed. So, um, that's Rabbi Nobachaya. And he's learning that, again, simply in the verse. That this is completely not a godly initiative. It's something that's coming from the people, and therefore it's, if you want, I'll give you a king. Um, Reb Chaim ben Atar, and his amazing Pirush, also says the same, I'm reading from his words, if the Jewish people are worthy, and they don't ask for a king, then then God is their king, directly, Aleyam. Like it says in another passage, and God, your God, is your king. And God on his end. First of all, if they're worthy, then God can be a king on them directly. And also, um, the Hashem himself wants to be directly their king. But if they will begin asking questions, which means they don't feel God's kingship. God is king already. From Harsina, he's our king. But if we're starting to ask for a king, is somehow we're feeling we're lacking supervision. So you're not really sensing the divine presence, which obviously is a, is a sign of some serious blockages. Because if your soul isn't blocked, then naturally you should feel that God is standing upon you, watching over you, and therefore taking care of you. If you don't feel that, that's a problem. That's why you're asking. You're feeling insecure. So you need a king. Ah, you need a king. Then Hashem gave them the king. Then it's a mitzvah. So it becomes a mitzvah only, only if you're in a lower level and you can't feel Hashem's providence and Hashem's kingship. And then same tussle. 
Okay, so we see that there is an idea of having God directly as a king over us. But again, this is all falling under the opinion of Rabbi Nahari who learns that the verse over here is a secondary thing. It's if we ask, then we get. But if we're going to learn like Rabbi Yehuda, which says clearly that the Jewish people initially are commanded from God to appoint a king, then we need some explanation of what's going on. So the obvious answer, which is brought, now by the way, the Abar Benel deals with this in his Pirush on the Chumash, he's asking this question back and forth, is this a commandment or is this uh, something that comes as a result of their request? And he brings different, uh, different ideas regarding this. The, um, the, um, the Kliyakar brings the Abarbanel. He just says that the Abarbanel uh, goes in in great length into this, into this question. But regarding, regarding the, again, the Allahic opinion is that we do accept that it is a, a mitzvah to have a king. Why is Hashem upset? So the simple answer that would be given is if we take a look how the Jewish people are asking for a king, they're asking, um, this is in, in Shmuel Aleph, Perek Ches. It says, ah, See, they're already insulting. They said to him, you're getting old. Your children are not going in your ways. They're really, really, really insensitive. Number one, they're insulting him regarding himself. You're becoming old. You're kind of, you know, we're having now elf of dollars, a million, million, gazillion times chasfashon. I shouldn't even make, a, I'm just saying that, you know, the whole busy now at the election, we're dealing with uh, at least one candidate who, uh, very questionable, I'm not talking about the mental capacity of both candidates, it's not. Well, one of them is a serious question, you know. We find that he's not, uh, he's not really making uh, much of an appearance because uh, everybody's realizing that uh, there's pretty serious lapses. So they're telling this to Shmuel. You're old. That simply could mean not that they meant that there's something missing with him. Maybe it meant just that, you know, you're getting old and you know, therefore we have to secure a future. While you're still with us, that could be. But they were saying, your children are not going to inherit. You're saying, your kids. So now they're insulting him because of his kids as well. And they say, Give us a king. To judge us. Like all the nations. And here is the key of why this was considered a bad idea that this was an inappropriate request. It's because they're saying, give us a king to judge us like all the nations. You should want a king to do the mitzvah, not to be judged because you're, you're looking around and everybody else has a king. You want to do the mitzvah. Give us a king so that we can finally fulfill our mitzvah of having a king. It's a mitzvah. They don't say that, like the nations. So it wasn't, the problem wasn't with the request. The problem was with the uh, motivation behind the request. And they even said it, indicated by how they're saying that they want a king. The problem with that answer, which would be a good answer, but the problem with the answer is if you look at our Chumash, 
When the Pasuk gives us the initial mitzvah of appointing a king, what does it say? When you will come into the land and you will say, I want, he gives actually the very same motivation for when the Torah gives you the mitzvah, which means that the request should be and ought to be, it's okay to request it because just like the nations have a king, you should also, I see my line now, I will put upon me, like all the nations that are around me. So what's, problem, what's problematic? And the Chumash also says the same thing. They're actually saying the exact thing. Here it says, like all the nations around me. Here they're saying, and he will judge us like all the, like, like all the nations around us. Slight nuance different, but simply it's the same thing. So, how, how can we... So, but we could say, and this is going back to what Nachmanides, I said that Nachmanides said earlier. Yes, it's true, that's what they said. But that's not the real desirable form of a request. The desirable form of a request would have been to ask for a king for all the good reasons. To be able to serve God better. To ask for a king so they can fulfill the mitzvah of appointing a king. But they didn't. They asked to have a king just because our neighbors have a king. And we want a king like them, like the Gentiles. So that wasn't good. But if so, what's with our verse? Our verse is not a question. Because Nachmanides is saying that the verse is not telling you the desirable thing to do. The verse is telling you, the passage is saying, what is going to happen? What is going to happen is, the passage is saying, when you will come into the land, the Ramban says, this too is from the Torah giving hints to what it's going to be. The Torah is predicting the undesirable way, manner in which they ask for a king. Not that this is what you should do, this is what you will do. Okay. Then get into the question with, <laughs> with Rambam. And that is if the Torah has already decreed that that's what they will do. Because already a thousand years earlier it stated in a Pesach and a Chumash that's what they'll do. So how can you hold it against them? They're forced to do it that way because the Torah said they will do it that way. So that gets into the question of Yediyah and Bechira. If God knows something before, then uh, but the regular answer is he can know it, but he knows it because you did it. And he can just put him time. Uh, you can, whatever, we're not going to get into the whole philosophy of that. But here it won't work because that only works in God's knowledge. How God's knowledge does not... God knowing beforehand what we will do does not um, uh, challenge or does not interfere with free choice. But here's a different story. Here it's not just that he knows it, he actually stated it. He said it. And it's written in the Torah. And when something is said and written and written down, then it is more of a decree. And it compels the situation to be that way. So then you couldn't, then you can really ask that question. Possible answer is that God said that's the way it will be done, but he didn't decree who's going to say it and what. Yeah, but it's, it's hard to say that. Because if it had to be the Jewish people, because the Jewish people have to be the ones, you can't like, like Egypt, 
Maimonides, I think, is the one that gives the answer, God, or maybe Nachmanides. God did not decree which nation was going to persecute the Jewish people. God said they will be slaves and be inf- uh, uh, tortured by, a, by a inflicted or enslaved by a nation, uh, by a land that's not theirs. They didn't say who. The, the, the Egyptians volunteered to be the ones. Therefore, they got punished. But he can't say that because he's talking about the Jewish people. See, these, these people are that people. It seems that God is angry at all the people for this. Not like he punished individuals. So that's a good question. I didn't think of it actually till now that I am, that we're saying it on the Shita of Ramban that says that the passage is just predicting what will be. Let's see if we can come up with some other understanding of why, and I'd give, like to give you three answers, of why their request was inappropriate and what would have been the right way to ask for a king that would have been consistent with, 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 with the mitzvah. So the three approaches are going to be as follows. The approach number one is going to be the approach of the Orachayim. Approach number two is going to be the approach of the Kliyakar, two fascinating, great um, commentators on Chumash. And the third explanation is going to be the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, the Rebbe's explanation on the uh, problem, on the where they glitched. And here we go. The Rechaim HaKadosh says as follows. He says, the mitzvah of appointing a king can have, the king's function can be understood on two levels. Level number one, which is the more lower level, and that is we appoint the king because we need someone to lead us into battle. The Rambam, by the way, in the laws of kings, the Rambam says that the, 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 point, the, the point of a king is to fight one of the main jobs of a king. Let me read you the words of the Rambam, where he gives a short description of where he describes what the... V'tia uh, machshaftoi, uh, his thoughts, umagamosai, and his aspirations, v'harim dasa emes, to increase or to lift up the true faith the true, um, the, the, the belief in God and the, the morals and ethics that come along with that. And to fill the world with morality. That's the idea of a Jewish king. Obviously, he has to start with the Jewish people and with his constituents. And then he can extend that further. And you need a king. What's a king? A king is someone with a lot of power. And what does that help? That helps you stand up against evildoers, against the sometimes powerful forces of evil that are making trouble. In the world right now, Iran was a very big troublemaker. I know I had this interesting thought today. I'm sorry for getting a little political. I'm sorry. I just feel it's important. And that is, I was just wondering, you know what, in the last four years, I know with all the negativity and all the garbage they're dumping on the president, like nonstop, nonstop, doesn't get credit for anything, just nonstop, just heap on him every kind of thing. But the interesting thing is, do you realize that there has been zero terrorist attacks? I don't know, I didn't look this up, but in the last four years, did anybody remember? Do you remember just about five, six years ago when you had the trucks 
in Germany and in France, rowling into people, and you had 50 dead and 60 dead and 70 dead, you had building exploding, and you had this happening and that happening, and it was happening every day. You did have mass shooters in the United States of America. That did happen in the last few years. It took a different motivation. I'm talking about Islamic Jihad, terrorism. ISIS, gone. Iran is dealing with its own problems. Now, obviously, you can understand why, because Iran is the main sponsor of terror. The Iranians are the main sponsor of terror. These guys are supporting all these jihad guys. And they're being choked to death. And that's thanks to his policies. He's cut them off completely. It's amazing, the, 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 the tranquility, the quietness. Yes, just think about it. I'm trying to remember where was there a massive terrorist action. There was the blow up in, in, in Beirut, but that was, as far as we know now, an accidental blow up. Where was there just in the a, a act of an extreme, uh, an extremist, um, jihadist, perpetrate an act, a hijacking, uh, an explosion, a suicide explosion. I don't know, I didn't hear. It's like, and no one, no one says, hey, what was going on? Four years ago, I remember they were chopping heads. ISIS, we saw pictures, it wasn't four, it was maybe six years ago taking over swaths, killing, having, having all the people there in, in jumpsuits and chopping their, their heads off or shooting them and throwing them into pits. I mean, the stuff that was going on across the world, absolutely mayhem. And killings all over innocent people. Thank God it should only continue. So I'm just saying, but why, what do you see from there? That's what the Ramam is saying. You have a king, you have someone who exudes power and someone that's not a chicken, but it will actually take, you know, Give him the credit. He took out Soleimani. That guy was a real, a real troublemaker. And yeah, we expected afterwards. Who knows what's going to be? Very quiet. Baruch Hashem. In any case, the reason this is so important is because people need to think twice before they go into the polling booths. You know, for thinking about you know, if you like, if you like this situation, I know there's a coronavirus now and there's other problems, but if you think this is better than having what was going on earlier in terms of the, the, the rise of evil in the world and it's, and it's going unchecked and doing whatever they want and literally threatening to get into Europe and who knows where, then uh, people need to think about that. Let's just put it this way. Take that into the equation. In any case, back to that's one of the jobs of the kings. To break the hands of the wicked. And to fight the wars of God. So the Rambam clearly says that a king's, one of his main jobs is that whenever war is justified according to Torah, I know the objective is world peace, but when war is justified according to Torah for whatever reason, the king is the one who leads us into battle. So Rechaim says, now, when you are just a bunch of tribes, obviously you can't fight a war too well because you're not really unified. Okay, when there's one powerful authority that you all pledge your allegiance to, and you're all devoted to this one person, then you're far more uh, effective in war. 
But if you have various different generals and each one doing their own, and this one wants a little like this, this one like that, and then you're lacking the cohesiveness, you're lacking this, and therefore that will, that will, that will impact the strategic planning, that will be execution. The whole business is sloppy. It's not the same. Because it's a puzzle, it's not one piece. It's a bunch of factions working together. But one piece, that's what the king does. He unifies, brings them all together, can fight the war of God. So the Archaim says, what does he say? He says like this, the main objective of having a king, the main objective of having a king, oh, so reason number one for appointing a king is to go to war, to lead you into battle. And that's the primary role that Gentile kings would, would, would play. In other words, they were kind of the head of the military. I mean, it's not the star general, but they were above the time, but they're the, it's like, uh, oh, it's like even in the United States in terms of the president, you call him the commander of chief, commander in chief. He's not the commander in chief of me and you, he's commander in chief of soldiers of the army. So he's the chief, right, guy in the military in that sense. Um, so that's one reason for a king. But then he says, there was another reason to appoint the king. Yes, for battle. We need a king for battle. But not because we will rely on this amazing warrior, Alexander the Great. Okay, goes out to battle and he just, Napoleon, right? Uh, an amazing fighter. And that's where we put our trust in our king. But rather, someone whose saintlyhood, saintliness, is bringing about a unique divine protection and miraculous providence over the Jewish people. So the point of the king is not someone who physically can fight a war. Someone who is a mighty warrior, but rather someone who will lead the people into battle and win wars it's because he will bring miracles. And why is he bringing miracles? Because he's such a great tzaddik. And his virtue and his merit is what is, what, is, what, uh, is, what is effective. And that's what he says is the meaning of the Pasuk. Let's read the Pasuk. He says, so the, the way he reads the verse is like this. You're going to come into the land, you will inherit it, you will settle in the land. And you will say, You will say, I want to appoint the king like all the nations around me, which means we need to find who's going to person we're taking as a king, someone who's physically fit. Someone who has displayed extraordinary skill at war and so on and so forth, and he's our great hero, and he's the one we're going to appoint as a king, as the nations around you do. So the Pasuk is saying, don't do it that way. In other words, this might be a motivation to make such a type of a king. So the verse says, don't make that kind of a king. Place upon, us, upon yourself a king. Someone who's chosen in God's eyes. Someone whose merits, who's going to fight the spiritual battle. That's the idea. He will defeat the powers of evil and the spiritual because of his great saintlyhood. Because God is with, it, with him. And as a result of that... 
He will accomplish that the end result will be the same. He will be victorious, but he will be from a whole different angle. From his righteousness. That's the emphasis. You should put upon your king, but not like you said you want to do it. That's the idea. Not like your, your, uh, your, your instinct that you want to put upon a king yourself to, to do like the nations around you. It's a whole different selection. You can have a tzaddik, might physically not be fit at all, just a great saintly tzaddik, and with his virtue and his tzitkis, he will protect the Jewish people. That, that's how he learns. And based on that, we understand what was the, the problem by Shmuel Hanavi. Because by Shmuel Hanavi, when the Jewish people made their choice, they did not follow the explicit instructions that it's stating in the Torah. They said, we want a king like the nations, as I said earlier. In other words, even though the Pasuk also says it. But as we described, the verse is saying, do not do that. Not, it's not like Ramban. Ramban is saying, the Pasuk is just telling you what's going to happen. Then we have a question when I asked before, that if, 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 if God says that that's what's going to happen, then it's already decreed. So how can they do any different? According to the Erechaim, it's not God saying this is what's going to happen. He's telling you that this might happen. You might be interested in making a king just for, to protect you at war because of, and you rely on him. And God says, your, your, um, your criteria in choosing the king is not his muscles, not his, uh, his military, uh, what is the right word, prowess, or whatever they call it. It's not his skill. It is his, the righteous tzaddik that he is. It's the one that God has chosen. And that's the problem. Okay, that's how the Urachayim learns. Um, this, the Kliyokar has a different approach, which is really, really cool. The Kliyokar says that um, one word, just one little nuance, that they changed from what it says in the Pasuk. The Pasuk tells you how to make a king, and it says one word, and they changed, just one letter changed, and that changes the, the nature of the, of the king. The Pasuk says that you should appoint upon your king, it says, put the king upon you. Now what is the, what is the verse, what the Talmud says, the word, um, you should have his, you should fear him. You should, you should literally fear him. That means you should be completely subjugated to the king. He's the boss, and you do whatever he tells you. And that's the way it's got to be. When they came to Shmuel Anavi, they didn't say that. They said these words. Give to us a king. You see the difference? Not Sima Olenu, place upon us. Give to us. Ah, give to us means someone that we can manipulate. Someone that we can intimidate. Someone who we can put pressure on him to do so or do this. Someone that does not have a powerful heart and a powerful personality. That is not phased by anybody. And does what he needs to do. And we, on the opposite, we are surrendered to him. But someone who's intimidated, weak, and intimidated by the people. By the way, I, I, didn't, I totally didn't plan this. 
I think it's a little bit, um, might be a little bit um, regarding our choice in here in the United States, regarding a leader, talking about forgetting about policies and all of that. We're dealing with someone who has whatever, whether you believe it's smart or not smart, but still stands for something, or someone who basically, whatever, is popular. And if everything is swinging to radical leftism, then uh, we go with that. Whatever, whatever works. Whatever the, uh, whatever the mob is into. Obviously, that's, that's scary. That's just not leadership. That's the idea. It's someone that's that. Okay, I know. Every person, I'm saying every president of the United States, every people, you do want to get reelected and you do want to sense, feel the mood of the people and you do, you have to, when you're controlling the people, you have to work with the people. You can't ignore the people. But there's a difference of working with the people but still having certain approach, whatever the approach is, but it's your approach, what you believe in, what you're strong in, and then you're going to work it out. And sometimes you bend and you have to bend. That, that's understood. But completely being policyless and just where your constituents want you to go in any direction, even to absolute absurdities, and that's what's going to be the thing, because that's what the people are screaming, that's what they're protesting on the street, or so on and so forth, then you're in trouble. So you see that. You want to have a leader who is upon you, not, not a dictator, not someone who's, whose power is ruthless, but someone who has authority, and you're surrendered to them as opposed to a wishy-washy somebody who you are manipulating, and that's what they asked for. Give to us a king. Look at the words. Give to us a king. Again, that's what bothered him. They said, give up to us. Anyways, um, and they said, to judge us. Ah, why well, you want someone, he's going to be the judge, because then you can you can bribe him, you can push him, you can intimidate him, and he'll judge you the way you want to be judged, as opposed to what needs to happen. So listen to God's answer. It fits really well in the whole parsha. Listen to the people. Everything they say to you. He says, They actually did not reject you, they rejected me. And the way the, the Kliyaka learns, no, it's actually a compliment to you. The reason they don't like you is because they can't manipulate you. So they didn't reject you. They were rejecting me, which means they don't want to listen to me. So they want to have someone who's going to be in their hands. You are my appointee, which means you are, have your allegiance to me. And they can't mess with you. So it's not about you. It's not to do with you. You're just implementing my desire, Hashem says to Shemuel. And actually, the fact that they don't want you is not an insult to you. It's just a sign that you have a backbone and that you're strong. They want to have someone that they can play around with. Anyways, so Hashem says, listen to them, give them a king. But tell them what's going to be the rule of the king. Hey, watch this. So the so Shmuel comes and he speaks the word of God to the people that are asking for a king and he says this should be the king you should know he turns it around he says you know what I'll give you a king this king is going to be rule over you not he's going to rule to you above you and he goes to explain 
how much this king is going to have superpower over them. As Benechem Yikach, he will take your children to his military or put them in his, his chariot. And he will take the strongest of your men and he will bring them and draft them into the army. And they will plow his fields and they will do his things. Benechem Yikach is going to take your daughter whoever he wants to marry. I know, not, not for marriage. But Akachos, he brings over here to make uh, fragrances for perfumes or tabachos and for bakers or, or, or for, uh, or for um, um, the working with the, with the meats or the oifos or you know, for cooks and for bakers and your fields he will take. In other words, this whole idea that you'll have a king and you'll be... He actually, the Rechaim says, like people do today, they hire a, 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 a rabbi and they give him a contract. That's what he says. He says they give him a, a short period contract. Why do they give him a short period contract? He doesn't want to lose his job. So he'll be completely under the winds of the president and everybody else of the congregation and they can play with the rabbi and they can do whatever they want. That's not, that's not a rabbi. A rabbi, you appoint him and once he's appointed rabbi, he's the rabbi and he's, he's in control. The other way around, very not good. So here you see God says, a whole list of what he's going to do to emphasize that this king is not manipulatable, but he's, he's going to completely reign over you. Anyways, and zaktam ayayimahu, and that you're going to cry out, you're going to say it was a, <laughs> you're going to say it was a, a, a mekachtoyis, this whole thing was, 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 wasn't worth it. Because, you're going to cry out from before the king, you are choosing to have a king for yourselves, that you can, that you can, that you can mess with him. But God won't answer you, because you'll, you know, you'll have enough of this king who will actually go beyond the, the, the letter and the law of, of his, his dominance over the people. Oh, so then when the people heard that, what does it say? The people refused. They refused to listen to the voice of Shmuel. In other words, they didn't like what they heard now. And they regretted, they realized the mistake that they made. And they did tshuva. And they said, That we, we, we made a mistake. We want the king to be upon us. Like you're saying, well, as we, we, initially we had mistaken and we want to fix the request now to be more reflective of what a king should, the, the relationship of king and, and people should be. Anyways, this is the idea how the Kliyakar learns. I thought it was really, really special. And again, these things are applicable when it comes to, to uh, understanding the way authority should work and so on and so forth. Whatever conclusions we can take. Finally, I'd like to share with you the Rebbe's take on, um, on this. But the Rebbe asks this question, but he adds one more point. And he asks, he says, if it was so bad what they did, so in the end, why does God give it to them? God should say, I'm sorry, your, 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 your request is bad. I'm not giving you a king. First, God is all insulted. Him, he takes offense. Shmuel, the prophet, is insulted. And then says, and give it to them. That's what you do with your children when they misbehave. You give it to them what they want. You tell them, no, it's no. It's not good parenting. The whole thing doesn't seem right. So he explains similar to Erechayim, but different. Two, and he brings that in his book of his great-grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, in Sefer Derech Metzvah there is two 
reasons why we need a king. Um, what are the, again, the Archaim also says that, but he, he uses different reasons why we need a king. He says the king is primarily here to bring about, reason number one, um, that we need a king, is that the king is primarily here to establish um, law and order. <laughs> well, I, I had no idea, I promise you, that, uh, sorry, <laughs> it's not my fault, please forgive me. I'm not doing this on purpose. I had no idea that every single answer I'm giving now is going to be, I think, guidance and clarity for those who are still confused, because it is a very confusing time, of what should be done in November. Okay? The first reason, according to the Tzamech Tzedek, the king's primary objective that he needs to be there is to, is to assure and to provide a safe environment, one of law and order. If not for the fear of the king, which means the fear of the authority, which the ultimate authority, in order for authority to be strong, there has to be one singular power on the top that has full power, and that's what lends a powerful, powerful, um, see, one of the reasons, by the way, that the country is so weak now, and there's all this lawlessness going on, and so on and so forth, is because there's such a divide, it's so polarized, there's such a, that, and there's such a complete disrespect, everybody's mistrusting everybody else. I think if you're saying you gotta wear a mask, everything, oh, you got to mop your sleeve, you're, 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 you're manipulating, you're, 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 this is part of a vast world conspiracy. I'm just saying wear a mask because there is a pandemic going on. People, yeah, but really you don't have to. I, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to upset any, I know anything I say in the, when I get to these things, I'll upset someone. So I'm not trying, I'm just saying, that there are good things that are being said, both from the right and from the left, and certain things that make sense, but still there's such mistrust, and there's such divide, and because there isn't then one singular authority, and if you wonder, like, why would we want to go back to a monarchy? Why do we want a king? Well, we're getting to see how the system that we have now is leading to a place where it's just not working anymore. And there is a lack of strength in the police. They have that. They can't. Control, they're not controlling Portland. They're not controlling Seattle. They're not controlling Chicago. They're not controlling. In addition to some people that are at fault and some people that are actually feeling this, I'm not going there. But the very um, state of affairs that is now, in which there's a complete clash, literally seems to be close to a civil war, the state that we're in right now. So that means that there's no cohesiveness and oneness, and that causes an, an entire weakening of the entire authority from the, from, from the bottom to the top. And because of that, we got the result. So the first thing, the king being this complete authoritative figure can establish law and order. And that's what I'm saying, because it just happens to be pretty interesting, and anybody can, can uh, vote your conscience 
Vote your conscience. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything. I'm just pointing certain things out. That all the police unions who are in charge over law and order, for the first time ever, are endorsing a president. I think that's just something that should be considered. The people that are in charge of making sure that people are not walking down around the corner from here with sledgehammers and breaking the things, they're the ones that are keeping the city safe, are saying that they believe that they, now obviously you can argue it's all uh, self-motivation. They're cutting their, they're defunding them. They're cutting their, their yes, of course they want. But I think uh, the, there is more to that. There is their own safety. They're, they themselves are scared of this lawlessness. Anyway, so this is the objective. The Rebbe brings that the objective from the Tzemach Tzedek, of the king, is if not, the Mishnah says in Pirkei that we have to pray for the Shlomo Shalmalchus, for the peace of the government, because if not for the peace of the government, people would swallow each other alive. People would eat each other up. It would be a jungle. So in order to save that, you need, you need authority. That's one reason of a king. Another reason. Now, the problem is, shouldn't humans be mentioned? Can't we just rely on humanity that people would just make good choices? And people will behave and people will not act do criminal activity? The answer is, that would be desirable. It would be desirable if people would be that way. However, not all human beings are in a state where their mind rules over their heart. There are people that are opportunists. And if they see an opportunist to advance their own cause, helping themselves to something that's not theirs, they will take it. Why? Because they're able to and no one will stop them. Even though they know up here that it's wrong. They do not have the basic human tenant of the mind rules over the heart. By them, if I have an urge, desire, a lust, a, and it's available, and there's no police, then I'll do it. So I need the police to police me and make sure I'm not going to do it because I'd rather not spend the next 10 years in a, dar- in a, in a, in a, in a prison cell. So that's what's holding me back from misbehaving. And that's ultimately the function of, at the beginning of the parasha, shoftim, the judge, the court system, the shoftim, and the police force. And all of this, the highest authority, the verse continues on, is under the jurisdiction of the king who's got the, 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 the full power to make sure that all of this is kept in place. But that's the... the um, the, uh, I would say, primitive reason or, pri- or lower reason, basic reason. But then there is a higher reason. Because you have a, a certain segment of the society that could behave perfectly fine without a police out there. There are people. There are people that are decent, and I think, by the way, in the United States of America, the majority of the people in the United States of America are people that will follow law and order and basic elements of decency. I know Rabbi Friedman, Rabbi Manus Friedman tells a story I, I just, of uh, when he was in Minnesota that, um, I forgot the whole story, but there was someone there, a student that came from Russia. And the guy came to him one day and he was just raving about, 
that he was he, he was driving like in the um, suburbs of of, uh, of Minneapolis, not in the city itself, but outside. And uh, he, he was astounded because he saw a sign that there was fruits and vegetables, something that was being sold <coughs> at a house. So he, at a, outside, there was like a big farm. So he goes there, and he sees a sign that says, how much are the fruits and vegetables? What they call, I don't know if fruits and vegetables, it was some, something which was simple. They have to weigh and whatever. It just was based on how much you're taking. Then there was some kind of a box and uh, with a cash box. And it says, please help yourself and put the money in. And the guy was beside himself. He says, in Russia, this would not, how in the world? He said, he couldn't believe no one is there. He thought, he, he realized that this is the way it is. People are leaving it, and they trust that the people leave. They don't have a lock on the, on the box. They don't have a lock, and they're not hiding it. You take for yourself, help yourself put in. And you know, I would probably say it would work for, I don't know, I'm not gonna, I haven't done an, a, 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 a study. But lots of people that are, let's put it, either God-fearing or, I mean, ultimate morals are based on an awareness of God, but on a, let's put it, more external level, there is some kind of a certain development of, of, of ethics and society that at least can bring that respect and so on and so forth. Not that, I don't have to say that all, that unless you're a, a, a God-fearing person, that in every situation you're not gonna, you're gonna do only what's better for yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna make that argument now. I mean, that argument could be made, but not, but, question is, at which point do you break and do what you need to do for yourself, or you do what's right? Then, when it gets really challenging, but basic idea of vegetables, and I think many people, even if they're atheists or whatever, could behave even no one is looking, and do the right thing. Okay. In any case, when you have a society that is, or a people, that are on a level where mind rules over heart, and what is wrong is wrong, even if I know that I'm, even if I'm not afraid of being put my hands behind my back and handcuffed and taken away in a, in a, in a squad car. Um, do I still need a king? So the Tzermach Tzedek says yes. And that is, the, here the, the king plays a different role. Not keeping society in check, but moving the world, moving his country to accomplishments and aspirations and goals and dreams, moving people to levels way beyond. For that you need a visionary. A visionary is someone who can see far ahead. Someone who can, looks, you know, 10 years down the road, the consequences of actions, which people will not see that. One of the problems you have with a dem democracy is that we keep on changing. Even this democracy that we think could work, worked for so many years. The fact that we, the elections take place every four years, and also Congress changes every two years. You know, you have the, the House for that. In order for many policies to take effect and to be successful, sometimes you need 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Let's take uh, Obama's uh, health care. I'm not getting into work or not, but. Obamacare. People, oh, it's maybe it is. I, I, I'm not going there. 
Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, but give it 20 years. Others will argue if you give it 20 years, you'll have a total destruction of our health system. Okay, I'm, not, I'm just saying that certain policies, on the other hand, yeah, the Republicans are saying tax cuts. Uh, tax cut. If you give it a, a, quite a while, see how it's going to completely transform the economy, and everybody's going to do it, but it needs some time. It needs some time. Things need time. But when we're judging just on the immediate effect, and the masses are not necessarily have the vision for it. That's the beauty of having a king. Problem with having a king, obviously, as we discuss this in another class, is when you give exclusive, exclusive power to a singular person, he might be too powerful, and he might be acting in self-interest, and then he can become abusive and a tyrant. So that's the quality of setting up a government that is shared power. So no one gets too powerful and therefore can, God forbid, become a complete... Uh, so that's the, that's the balance, and that's what we deal with. That's the second, that's the best we can have hope until we can restore the monarchy in the coming of Mashiach. So the year, what's the idea of a king? The idea of a king is to be the, it's basically, it's more like the, the concept as I, from I think, who was it? Who's the one who, um, one of the great philosophers? Wasn't Aristotle? Who's ha maybe maybe it was I don't know I'm, I'm, I don't read philosophy but I heard this from a lecture once. It's called the uh, king philosopher. That that's the king. The king is a philosopher. He's a, he's a teacher. He's a mentor. He's he's a guide, and he can guide and 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 move societies to have incredible leap to to to, to leap way beyond and to improve their societies and move people in ways that are un, 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 that, that is completely beyond the horizon of what regular people can see. And that, so that's needed even when you have a very, a very refined society. It is still needed to have such a leader. And this is the idea that, um, oh, so once we understand two objectives in a king. So he says, now let's see how this applies to a Jewish king, in particularly Jewish matters. So as I mentioned earlier, the Jewish king is an actualizer and a projector of God's kingship. Of God's kingship. In other words, he's not, he's not reigning, he's not ruling on behalf of himself, he's ruling on behalf of Hashem. Like it says, that Shlomo sits on the throne of God. Now, however, this itself could be on two levels. On a more basic elementary level, God gave us commandments and he expects us to listen. But he also created us with Yetzirah, with evil inclination. So the evil inclination sometimes is what? Can go out of hand. The evil inclination can get us to rebel against Hashem's commandments. So we need to keep the evil inclination in check. Now, in truth, so how do you keep your evil inclination in, in check? You're afraid of who? Sometimes it's not 
just what's right. You need a little fear. But who are you afraid of? Uh, as a Jew, we ought to be afraid of God. God's kingship should be enough intimidating that even if I have a burning, burning lust or desire or want or sense of anger or rage or whatever it is to, you know, to, to slash the other person's tire or to bust the window or to engage in a forbidden relationship or eat a non-kosher sandwich or whatever it is, even though I'm like going crazy with that urge or something, I'm controlling. Why? Because as it says in Tanya, Hashem is standing right over me and he's a king and he's looking down at me and he's, oh, I can't, in front of the king, I can't do it. We ought to feel that. God's kingship should keep us in check. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because God Hashem is our king. As we said earlier from all those other Mephoshim, or Chayim, in the, in, the, in the beginning of the class, I said that God should be your king. Oh, but when we're missing the uh, Wi-Fi connection, when we've coarsened our soul because of excessive, whatever the reason is, but usually it comes from excessive materialistic pursuits, um, makes us less sensitive to the spiritual and to the godly. So we don't feel God. Even though we know about Him up here, even though we have a mima, but it's too detached. It's not internalized. It's not something that we can feel. And therefore, the fact that God is looking doesn't scare us. Like Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says to his students before he passed away, he said, if only... He blessed, they asked him to bless them. He said, I bless you that you should fear God like, a, like you fear a human being. So they said to him, that's it? I mean, fear God only like we fear a human? He says, yeah. Like you, feel, like you fear your neighbor's little boy. Three years, five years old. Why? He says, because when a person is doing something they shouldn't be doing, they turn around and look, make sure no one is looking. And if their window is wide open and the little boy of the neighbor is five years old or four years old is sitting looking right at then you're not going to do certain things because your neighbor is looking. But God is looking. That means that God is, has less impact than a little four-year-old child. Maybe even your neighbor's cat, sadly. That's just the way it is, the human condition. Maybe not the human condition. Maybe the condition of the overly uh, enmeshment in, in things and we wreck our soul and we don't feel like God anymore. So that's the point of having a Jewish king. So the king, the fact that we have a human being who's representing God and he's a person of flesh and blood, then, and that's something that's a little closer to us. It's not an abstract. It's a human that I, I can have his picture on the wall or I just know that he's around and so on and so forth creates a certain restriction and a sense of authority. So that's, but again, so then the Jewish king is serving the elementary level of, as we said earlier, making sure that people obey law and order. In our case, not just the law and order of a decent society, but the law and order of Torah. And for that, we need the Jewish king. But that's not necessary for everyone. Those people that have sharp spiritual sensors, those that can feel, for them, Hashem's presence is enough to get them to do what's right and to refrain from doing that which we ought not to do. But for them, there is another, that doesn't mean they don't need a king. For them, there is the second level of kingship. The real reason why we need a Jewish king, the higher king, 
is the ultimate visionary and the one who is a big tzaddik is a very saintly person. And therefore, not so again, early by the Gentile king on the higher level, we spoke about someone who's visionary. He can, he can, he can, he can direct us to certain scientific uh, uh, breakthroughs. He can, he can, he can direct uh, a certain uh, whatever uh, behaviors and, and tweak, and so that they ultimately mankind uh, people, you know, create in, uh, um, um, education institutions and so on and so forth to educate and so on. But here we're talking about. Someone whose spiritual capacity is way above and above and above and above and beyond even the highest and greatest scholars and the greatest tzaddikim. He is just on a whole different level. And he can communicate to us a sense of God that is otherwise unattainable to even the greatest of the Jewish people. Through these great, like think about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is like his connection to God is like way, and he was able to, you know, to, to see Hashem's tefillin, and to, to to evoke the thirteen attributes of mercy, and to bring us the the, the secrets of this Arab Shimon by Yochai, like teachers that are in a whole a holy Ari in Balshemtov, like way, way from outside, from way beyond, 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 and access that and channel that. And do that forever and ever, because as far as you go, there's always a, a mysterious beyond. And uh, for that, we need a king. Why well, only a king? Why teacher not good enough? Because if we don't have submission, complete submission, he couldn't connect us. Because if we need to understand everything, then we would be crawling bit by bit. He wants to connect us to things that are completely beyond that which, for that, we have to have complete trust in him and surrender to, to have the idea of kingship. But the kingship, the surrender is not to assure that our behavior will be correct, but to lift us up completely beyond the hemisphere and beyond and beyond and beyond. That's the idea of a true, the really deeper meaning of a king. And that requires even when you have a more developed society. Now, so now we'll understand the Rebbe says the whole idea of what's going on in the story of Shmuel in such a special way. He says what, when God says in the Torah you should appoint for yourself a king, the king that Hashem wants that we, the desirable king is actually similar to that Hashem is choosing because of his greatness and God is again going to channel and communicate through him the deepest of the deep and the highest of the high. Like King Solomon like we see, right? Shlomo Melech, the wise of all men. David Amalekh gave us the book of Psalms. Tzaddikim, great men. And top them all is going to be Mashiach Tzadkain, who's going to be the ultimate teacher. Rambam says he's going to be wiser than King Solomon and close to Moses in prophecy. So we're going to deal with the greatest human being ever. Uh, that's what Hashem wants in a king. That's the real reason for the mitzvah. Now, the lower idea, the elementary element of kingship in terms of Judaism, in other words, a king to just make sure that, you know, that you get rid of your chametz on Pesach and you don't keep it, you know, to make sure that uh, people are obeying the law and that you're not cheating your fellow in business and that uh, your scales are up to par and not uh, corrupted scales and whatever, all the things that the Torah speaks about, how you shouldn't cheat in business and this and that. Or to make sure that the uh, kashrut 
the, the, the food is up to par and that people are not cheating and that the shul, and, that and that everybody keeps Shabbos and things like that. Stores are closed. Enforce the, the Jewish law, the code of Jewish law. To do that, the king will also provide that. But that's not why we should want to have a king because God wants Jews that their acceptance of the heavenly kingdom should suffice for that. That we should feel Hashem strong enough that that itself should be good. Now, for the higher attainments, you have no choice. Because it has nothing to do with your spiritual center. It has to do with the capacity of your soul. You just don't have it in you. Even if you're unblocked and you're unclogged, you just don't have it in you. There is a super mega soul that can give you a ride, can pick you up and carry you above, above, above. Like people would come to the great tzaddikim, that they would help their souls soar to the highest levels. Teachings that were totally, they could never figure it out. Even if you study Torah day and night a million years, you're never going to be able to figure out these mind-blowing teachings like the Alter Rebbe in, in, in Makuti Torah. Week after week, it blows my mind. He's like, whoa, like you never think of it. It opens up. Huh? For that, of course you need a king. That God wants. Hashem does not want that we should ask for a king just for to keep the law of the land. That your private Yerashamayim, fear of God, should suffice. What Hashem didn't like is that they asked for a king like all the other nations, which means someone who's providing law and order. Yes, Jewish law and order, but still law and order. So Hashem was very disappointed. He felt that they rejected me, God says, which means that they're saying that, that, I, that, that, that they don't have fear of God. That's what means they rejected me. They're, they're showing that I'm not in their lives. I'm not real enough to them. And that's insulting to God. I mean, he knew it before, but now they said it. But in the end, he gives in to them. And he gives that the king. Why does God give in to them? And the answer is, it's an emergency, first aid. They're saying, we don't fool you, Hashem, and therefore we need, we need, we need to have Vad Mishmeres Atzniyas, you know, we need to have the the, 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 tzniyas, the modesty police around the ropes. We have a hard time being modest. We need to have, you know, the people, the mashgiach, to watch the food because... In other words, we need to have an institution of authority that's out there while making sure that there's observance. Which is under the, ultimately, it's under the authority of the king. We need that. Because without that, we're going to slip and fall. We know our Yetzirah. Hashem says, if that's the case, I need to provide that. If you're wounded, you need a band-aid. So for that, I'm going to give you the king. So he gave it to them what they asked for. They asked for such a king, they got it. But it's still, and they need it. He couldn't deny it to them because they're saying, and someone says, I'm sick, I'm sick, I need help. I need help. Oh, you shouldn't be sick? Yeah, you shouldn't be sick. Why did you, why weren't you careful and then and, and, and caught a cough? Or you, you, you know, you, you, you. because two weeks ago you ran out without a coat. Okay, that's two weeks ago. Right now I'm freezing, I'm shivering, I have the fever. Can you give me an aspirin? Can you give me a Tylenol? I don't know, whatever. So when the people said they need it, God provided it. But not that he wanted it. And it's not that he doesn't want them to have a king. He wants them to have a king but for much better reason. So well, this clarifies this whole thing. So when it comes to obviously seeking the king Mashiach, Hopefully we can do it, not just to have a king that can take care of us, but for the real deeper reasons, to really get close to God on levels beyond, beyond. We so need this king. So, Be'ezus Hashem, tomorrow, I would like to continue this discussion 
and sort out a lot. This whole confusion regarding Mashiach, is it something that we should take in because people want to know? Should we be involved in the process? Really. And I hope people can take all their emotions aside. It's a sensitive subject and, and, and not come to it from, oh, I get nervous, you talk about it. Is it or is it not? Is there can we perhaps? Maybe not. Let's, let's, let's discuss. Hope Hashem should help. I should have the koyach to give the shir and enough clarity tomorrow to be able to provide you with another class, which is the main thing I want to talk about this week, about its application today of St. Tessimelech I hope and I pray that instead of me giving the class tomorrow night about appointing the king, the king should already be revealed tomorrow. Take us out of Golos, and we will have a complete, in total, Geula. Thank you.